Well, I have come to a place in my life where I can fall asleep like that, and I will usually stay asleep and sleep like a log all night long. But it hasn't always been that way. In fact, for most of my life, I struggled to fall asleep and to stay asleep. My mind would churn with all kinds of worries and thoughts about the day and the coming days, and I would toss and turn and find it very hard to fall asleep. Now in those days, worry would grip my thoughts and emotions and hold my body captive during the night. And in the dark, it doesn't always seem that troubles double and they're always bigger than they are in the light of day. At that time, you would have described me as a worry wart or a control freak or even an anxious person. But the truth is, I was a person filled with fear. Fear of the uncontrollable, fear of the unknown, fear of what people might think about me, fear of the future. Those things kept me up late at night. Excessive worry, anxious thoughts, and obsessive and compulsive behaviors are signs of fear. Now, fear is not a sin, but when we are fearful, we are very prone to sinning. We see in the Bible again and again that the people of God make more mistakes in times of fear than at any other time. This is why the number one command of scripture is fear not. God, his angels, Jesus himself, and leaders of the church were constantly telling people to not be afraid. Now, today we're going to look at the story of God's people, the Israelites, as he led them out of Egypt and brought them to the promised land. We will see that in this story, uh, the people are filled with fear time and time again. And sadly, as we uh, heard in the reading in Deuteronomy 1, it had grave consequences for them. So in Deuteronomy 1, Moses is near the end of his life. He has led the people up to the border of the promised land. But because of sin in his own life, God was not allowing him to go into the promised land. And instead, his protege Joshua will lead them into the land to conquer it for themselves. Moses wants to remind the people of what they have done so that they will not repeat their mistakes once they are living in the promised land. In Deuteronomy 1, he tells the story of what's been written down in Numbers 13 and 14. So here's a quick summary. God sent Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, where they had been slaves for almost 400 years. After they survived 10 plagues, an army of warriors in chariots, starvation by God providing manna and quail that came from the sky, plagues because of idol worship, and the usual discomforts of millions of people walking across the desert, the people finally arrived at the border of the promised land, a place that God had promised to their ancestors and was now promising to give to them. So Moses told them here in verse 21, he said, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord told you. 
So as part of coming into the land, they decided that they would send 12 spies into the land just to see what was happening there and to do a, a surveillance. When the spies came back, 10 of them gave them a report that it would be suicide for them to enter the promised land because the current inhabitants of that land were giants and they lived in cities that were fortified with, with tall walls. Two of the spies, however, Joshua and Caleb, told the people not to be afraid because God had already promised to give the peoples and the land to them. But the Israelites were filled with fear and refused to move forward into the land. Instead, they plotted to choose a new leader who would take them back to Egypt. Now Moses tells them again, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes in the wilderness. Moses is trying to remind them that God has always been there for them and they should not be afraid. Moses knew that fear had gripped their hearts and minds and that fear would lead them astray. It's a really interesting and perplexing thing to me that many, if not most Christians, are resigned to living with fear and its close relative, anxiety. I have often heard people say that fear is a normal part of human life. But fear is not from God. Fear is not of God. Instead, fear is a tool of the enemy to keep us from freedom and fullness in Christ Jesus. Fear keeps us from receiving the peace and joy that God has promised to give to us. And fear often leads us to very destructive behaviors. I want to cover some really hard truths about fear. The first thing is that fear robs you of faith. Fear robs us of our faith in God. We end up focusing on the problem and seeing it as bigger than God. And the doubts then come crashing in upon us. And in times of fear, we begin to question God's presence, his goodness, his power, and his love. Rod Reamer says that people's greatest question to God is, do you love me? And notice how the Israelites began to question God's love. In verse 27 and 28, this is what they said. The Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. How quickly they question God's love. The second thing is that fear makes us selfish and self-focused. The focus is on me and what will happen to me. The need is to protect myself. Now, if we believe that it's a life or death situation, we will even justify any and all actions that we take in order to protect ourselves and to survive. Another thing about fear is that fear often leads us to be controlling and manipulative. 
In times of fear, we take things into our own hands and we try to gain control of the situation by any effort possible. We see this with the Israelites. They wanted to appoint a leader, a new one, from among them who would lead them back to Egypt. They wanted to take control of the situation. And then after they realized that God was angry with them for rebelling against him, they turned around and said, okay, in that case, then we're going to go into the promised land. And they tried. They tried to take over the next city, but God wasn't in it. So those inhabitants attacked them and pushed them back to their camp, trying to control and manipulate the situation. A fourth thing about fear is that it, fear usually believes the worst case scenario and fear can lead us to feelings of despair. The Israelites began to predict disastrous things. In Numbers 14, um, there's greater detail about what they failed to do and what their thoughts were. And they said here in Numbers 14, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Fear believes the worst case scenario. A fifth thing about fear is that fear reveals our lack of faith in God. This one is a hard one to swallow. Fear reveals our lack of faith in God. Rob Reamer writes this, we can act on fear or we can act on faith. We cannot act on both at the same time. We can feel afraid and act on faith but we can't act on both. In Numbers 14, 11, this is what we learn. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? God recognized that in their fear, the people did not have faith in him. A sixth thing about fear is that we might think fear is just an emotion that we have to deal with until we have more courage and faith. But fear too often ends in disobedience to God, which can have grave consequences. When we are filled with fear, we find it hard to trust God. And in those moments, we should actually say, Right now, it's hard for me to obey God. We think it's trust, but it shows up in disobedience. When we say that it's hard to obey God, that should alert us to the fact that disobedience is right around the corner if we continue in fear. A seventh thing we learn about fear is that fear, because of fear, we may lose our destiny. God's judgment on the disbelieving and disobedient people of Israel was this. In verse 23, he says, Not one of them will ever see the land I promised 
an oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. Wow. God had promised to give the land to them. They refused to go into it. So he said, those of you who refused, you will be wandering around the desert for 40 years until you all die off and your children will go into the land. And the 10 spies who led the people astray, they were killed by a plague that God sent to them. Rod Reamer raises some uncomfortable questions in the book Soul Care. Questions for us to ponder. How often do, you, do we fail to take kingdom risks because of fear? How frequently do we miss out on our prophetic destiny because, of, uh, because we play it safe due to underlying fears? And how many kingdom ministries remain unfilled and eternal destinies remain unaltered because we fail to confront our fears? These are grave matters indeed. Reamer continues, it is often our anxious, fearful thoughts that precede our sin. If we can catch these, we can prevent many soul disasters. It is important for us to know when we are fearful and to call it that so that we don't make mistakes or disobey God out of those fears. Many of us are willing to admit that we are worried and maybe even anxious, but we don't want to admit that we are afraid and filled with fear. Remember that self-awareness is the gateway to freedom. It doesn't guarantee it, but you can't get there without it. Therefore, we need to identify our fears. We've read before Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24, where David invites God to search him. And he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to allow God to know our anxious thoughts. So we're going to take a little time to look at some of the root fears that people deal with. These are just some of them. But a root fear is the dominant, most significant fear, or maybe fears, that you experience over and over, and that much of your other fears can be um, traced back to that root fear. These root fears are tied to your childhood wounding and experience. They're tied to the lies that you believe about yourself and your identity. And they may even be tied to family sin patterns. Recently, I met with a young lady who is currently in her third physically and emotionally abusive relationship. As she was sharing things with me, she was able to admit that in her desperation to feel loved by someone, she was willing to put up with the abuse. Now she knows what she is up against, her root fear. 
Here are some examples of root fears. These are not all of them, but these are uh, some of the major ones. No one will want me. I'm not good enough. People will lose respect for me because I'm incompetent and inadequate. God can't use me. I'm broken, defective, insignificant, and worthless. Nothing will ever work out for me because I'm helpless and defeated. I will always be alone because I am unlovable. I have to do things for myself because I'm the only one I can trust. Bad things happen when I'm not in control. These are just some of the fears that can cause many other fears to arise in your life. When you have stopped and looked at what are some of your root fears, another thing to ask yourself is, how does the fear get manifest in your life? In other words, what do you feel? What do you think? What do you do when the fear is ignited? What does that look like? Some of the examples might be that you start hiding. Maybe you have all these negative self-talk that goes through your mind. Maybe you have imaginary conversations uh, with the people, with other people. Perhaps you experience a lot of anxiety or sleeplessness. Maybe you have a short fuse. Maybe you do things to numb yourself, or you escape into fantasy, or you shut down. God does not want us to live with our fears and to have the fears overcome us. God's love for us is so deep, and his desire is that we would trust him. While we ask if God loves us, God's greatest question to human beings is this. I've given you my only son. Now, do you trust me? Do you trust me? When we trust God, he promises to give us peace that is unlike anything that the world has to offer. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus said this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. God's peace is not dependent on circumstances. Instead, it depends on a relationship with him. In Isaiah 41, verse 10, we read God saying to his people, so do not fear, for I am with you. And do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is calling them to a relationship with him where they can trust in him. And in 1 John 4, verse 18, the apostle John explains why we can trust God. He says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love in a relationship with God. So how do we overcome our fears? In 1 Philippians 4, verse 4 through 7, we're going to quickly look at some steps that Paul gives us. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That there is soul care. All right, so let's break it down for, look at some steps for addressing your fears. First, begin with worship. Rejoice always, that's what Paul is saying, and be thanking God. So in your worship and praise and thanksgiving of God, what this does is that it turns our focus back to God. It helps us to remember God's presence, and it fixes our eyes on the relationship with God rather than the problem. Rod Reamer says that we need to be obsessed with Jesus because he is near. And when we are obsessed with Jesus, we cannot obsess over our worries and our fears. So begin with worship. A second step is to surrender. In meekness or humility, give up your self-focus and trust in God. In 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, the Apostle Peter tells us to humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's surrendering, that bringing our fears and our worries to God because he cares for us. Reamer writes this, ultimately to conquer our fears, we have to surrender our fears to God and trust him. He is with us, he is for us, he loves us, and that is enough for us. We have to build a trusting, loving relationship with God so that no matter what happens, even if there are bad results, God is enough for us. Trusting God, not in what he will do to get you out of the trouble. And finally, obey. Act in the opposite direction of your fear. Courage is doing what is right in the face of fear, rather than giving into the fear and disobeying God. Disobey the fear and do what God has told you to do. Now I wanna lead us into a spiritual exercise. We're gonna listen and hear. Again, we're gonna invite the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, to reveal those anxious thoughts. So wherever you are, go ahead and close your eyes if that's helpful for you. And just ask the Holy Spirit, show me what are my root fears? <clears throat> 